Welcome to Catholic Stuff You Should Know, a J10 initiative. Sehr gut. Sehr gut. Sehr gut. Ja, willkommen a Catholic Stuff You Should Know. Ja. Hola, ja. That was in honor of Father, Father Andreas Hook, who's our uh, St. John professor. So. And academic advice uh, in the seminary. Hello, Father Hoke. He will definitely not be listening to this podcast. I don't even think he knows what a podcast yes, is. Yes, he'd be like, brothers, I don't know what a podcast is, but it sounds wonderful. That's probably <laughs> what he would say. Well, welcome to Catholic Stuff. This is, uh, well, we're almost to the new year. This is the last one of the year. Uh, Merry Christmas to you last Saturday. This is the Tuesday We're before. in the future. We are back in the future. And uh, before we start, I just, you know, looking across the room at you, Joe, we're up in the uh, in the treehouse, third floor in my room, uh, recording this, and uh, you look a little full, uncomfortable. What did you have for dinner tonight? Was it something kind of... I just like stuffed my face with a Chipotle burrito. Chipotle Almost burrito. exactly the same one that you ate, except I had guacamole. Except you, had, you paid the buck 80 for guac. Now... Always what, worth it, I don't folks. Know, yeah, that's a lot of Everybody money. out there, I don't know if you've ever had guacamole, but it is one of the greatest gifts that God has given us in our creation. Who hasn't, had guacamole? Who hasn't had guacamole? I mean, seriously. I'm sure there's people out there. I mean, my sister doesn't try anything. <laughs> Anna, my goodness. Now, uh, the reason I bring up your dinner, not because Chipotle was started in Denver, Colorado. We have the first one here. I went on the tour last week, by the way, and really? I got a free T-shirt. Oh, I've, I always try and get a free T-shirt out of them, and they always say, I don't know what you're talking no, about. No, no. Ask to go on the tour, and they'll give you a free T-shirt. Yeah, that's the other thing. Any Denver listeners out there? Evans and something. Franklin. Franklin. This is the first ever Chipotle. And if you just say, hey, could I get a free tour? They'll give it to you, and they'll take you into the bowels really? of the first Chipotle. You go down this, like, there's a trap door where the bathrooms are, and you go down there, and you can write your name on, like, the wall. So that sounds kind of I sketchy. wrote my name. Yeah. Yeah, I don't was, know if I want to eat a Chipotle <laughs> anymore. Yeah, yeah. Me and uh, my, my brother Dave and Casey, my niece. So it was Very great. nice. Now, uh, there's a reason I bring that up. because uh, There is? Yes. A Chipotle burrito is always wrapped in what? goodness no it, it has goodness in it what is it wrapped in it's wrapped in tinfoil tinfoil and the unveil unveiling of the tinfoil when you unwrap the tinfoil what do you see you behold the goodness the of the glory burrito, right? we looked at the burrito with veiled faces before and then we behold it we behold it with unveiled faces once we unwrap the goodness of the styrofoam anyways this is a lame introduction to saying <laughs> it's apocalypse awesome. Is the un- unveiling, like the uh, Chipotle burrito, right? And then you can bite into it. Now, why do I say that? Because if you don't pull off that, uh, I keep thinking styrofoam. What's it called? Uh, tinfoil? Tinfoil. If, <laughs> if you keep... It's late. It's always <laughs> our excuse. It's morning. It's late. Whatever. It's late. Um, yeah, we can't, we can't have the excuse of coffee this time. But the uh, if you don't un- unwrap it, you never get to behold the goodness, and it would taste really disgusting. And that's, that's kind of true. what the book of Revelation is like. If you don't unwrap it, Joe, if you don't pull that tinfoil off, then you're never going to be able to really enjoy it and taste it. That was a great segue. That was a great segue. Thank you. So I the, applaud you. Thank you. The apocalypse is is our topic for today. Apocalypse. 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 And you think of that, I think it was the 70s movie, Apocalypsy Now. That's like, oh, yeah, you think of like Vietnam. Okay, that's not exactly what we're talking about. Apocalypse. Unwrap is, it for me, man. Uh, apocalypse yeah. is the Greek word for unveiling. Revelation. Revelatio is where we get the word reveal, right? So it's literally the unveiling of something that is hidden. That is what apocalypsis means in the Greek. Really? Apocalypsis is the first word in the Greek, because remember the New Testament is written in Greek. So when St. John wrote, and I'll talk about St. John in a second here, wrote his revelations, what he was writing was the unveiling of what is hidden at the end times. 
his uh, the apocalypse is what it's called the apocalypse right. of St. John and I'm just going to read from you this is Revelation chapter 1 verse 1 the revelation of Jesus Christ which God gave him to show to his servants which must soon take place and he made it known by sending his angel to the servant John who bore witness that is the purpose of this final closing book of the Bible, which I think is so fantastic and so exciting and so thrilling. And I did a Bible study for some of the Cabrini kids, some of the kids in my home parish on this. And we, we met for like five weeks straight and we only got through like the first three chapters. That's how much I love Revelation. <laughs> how long were, is this podcast going to be? Uh, it's going to be not that long. I, I promise. We're actually, we're I hope you're gonna, on a long car ride right now. Actually, it's funny you say that because we're only going to talk about the first three chapters. So the, uh, I apologize. We can't do a full survey of the book of Revelation. There's just too much. There's just too much. But we, I can give you, I can at least unwrap the first part of the tinfoil for you. All right. And you can kind of glimpse in and take a little a bit of guac. A little bit. No. Yeah. A little bit of guac. Actually, probably a lot of rice. If it's good, Chipotle, <laughs> they put a lot of rice in there. Anyways. The, uh, so that last book of the Bible is called the Apocalypse, and what it is is it's the revelation of the what is what is soon to take place, which is called the eschaton, the end times. Eschaton is the Greek word for the last things, the final judgment, the final revelation of Christ. So when Christ resurrects and ascends into heaven, he promises his return, and he will come at the end of time, and and this is what's going to take place. Now the book of Revelation is the glimpsing of that of what will take place in the end of times. But here's what's crazy about the book of Revelation. There is no, like, when Christ comes again, time ceases. Time kind of blends into eternity, right? The heavens and the earth pass away, and a new heaven and new earth come. And, and the final judgment takes place, and the final battle takes place. You have, like, this crazy battle royale between evil, which is getting worse and worse and worse until the end times. It, it comes to its high point, and then Christ comes, and it's just this, like, wild, wild description. So there's really no... When you're reading the book of Revelation, you have to see it as it's from God's perspective. St. John is getting a revelation of from God's point of view of what the end times will look like. So there is no past, there is no present, there is no future. There's no so we're heaven. not reading it like we're reading like the New York Times or something Exactly. Like. It's not like on, you know, July 14th of 2054, this happened and then this happened. 2012 it's, is the year, actually, I think. Oh, sorry, 2012. <laughs> yeah, we better, yeah, this is for next year to get you ready. That's funny because it's like four days before New Year's. <laughs> I mean, he said we won't know the day or the hour, but I think we might know the year. We I mean, might know 20, the, hey, you know, we know the year. It's, just so everybody knows I'm joking. I'm yeah. totally joking. <laughs> <laughs> we're going to get some emails, little, about, yeah, emails really. about that. Okay, so like I said, we're going to do a couple introductory remarks, and then I'm just going to tell you about the first couple uh, chapters, and then we got to call it quits because you know what? You're you're ready for a nap because you just had your Chipotle burrito. Let's well, unwrap so, it, man. Like, here we go. Apocalypse, like we mentioned before, is the Greek word that's translated revelation, right? Now, apocalypse is a type of Jewish literature. Remember, John is a Jew. St. John is a Jew. So when he's writing this, when he's experiencing this, it's coming in a tradition of Jewish literature, which we find in the Old Testament. So it's inspired by the Word of God, called apocalyptic literature, which is found between the year 200 BC and the year 180. This is like the rage. Everyone is kind of writing in this style. Now we have some of God's revelation, some of the prophets inspired by, by God who are speaking apocalyptically. Examples Daniel, another example, Ezekiel. Those are the two big ones. Um, but this implies the, the unveiling of something that is hidden, right? Something of the eschatological realities, the end times, what will come, right? Now, this is written by St. John, our, the apostle. And we know this because he denote, he keeps denoting his name. And there's all kind of scholarship over this. Now, scholars like to argue about everything. And they like to critique everything. And they like to doubt everything. But one of the things they rarely doubt is that John wrote the book of Revelation. Hmm, why is this that? Is, this is because of the, the style in which it's written. Um, how explicit he is about using his name and um, kind of what we know about the area. Because what's crazy is, do you know what year this was written in? 
Mm, it was written earlier. According, oh, this is crazy. We're like 60 something. Oh, listen to this. This is so young Padawan. This is what's so fascinating. <laughs> I, I wish I could tell my Protestant friends this because, okay, so Christ dies around the year 33 AD. The first book in the New Testament to be written is written in the year 49 AD. And that's First Thessalonians. Oh. And then you, so you have the Pauline corpus that's written, the letters of Paul. And then you, which are, which go the great, great letters. And then the, um, it's like Romans and Corinthians and all this different stuff. And then Galatians and then the captivity epistles, uh, Philippians, Ephesians and Colossians. It's like mid fifties. That's when Paul goes into captivity, his imprisonment. And then he writes his pastoral letters, like literally months or weeks before he dies. Timothy, the two letters to Timothy and Titus are written like literally bef- like the weeks leading up to his, his death. That is like amazing to That's think wild. about. Right around 70. Right around this time, also the Synoptic Gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, and Acts. You know, Luke wrote Acts as well, being written. Sorry, we're moving quick because this doesn't have to do with Re- Revelation. The last thing to be written is John. So John, right, who was with Christ, the beloved apostle who rested his head on Christ at the Last Supper, has reflected on this for 70 years. He's watched this unfold. The church is unfold. And then he writes this under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. That's why there's something about John in his, his writing. And I'm not just saying this because of my name. He, it's like there's something about it that's so beautiful. It's so contemplative. It's, a, it's 70 years of meditation, of contemplation on the Word of God as it's unfolding. So in the year 96 AD is when St. Irenaeus tells us this revelation happened. Oh, really? St. John. So the revelation happened after the gospel. No, the gospel was in 99 AD. Really? Okay. Yeah, so the gospel was the last thing uh, to be written. So yeah, the last three things written were the revelation, this revelation that happens to John, because he, remember, he experiences his visions and then he writes them in an apocalyptic form, um, and that's in 96 AD. 99 AD is when John writes his gospel, and then the three letters of John are actually responses to the gospel, because the gospel was being misinterpreted. So he wrote these three letters right around 99, 100, and they died. That is why. So wait, Irenaeus, who was a disciple of what, Polycarp? Polycarp. Who was a disciple of John. Right. Was like, he, he, he actually talks about like this is when the revelation happened. He told us it happened in 96. That is wild. Yeah, it's crazy. <laughs> That's really cool. Polycarp was the disciple and best friend of John the Beloved. John the, and Polycarp's disciple, Irenaeus. I just love this Isn't stuff, this man. amazing? So I mean, like, we... Like, people are like, oh, the scriptures are written, and then you have a couple hundred years pass, and then the church kind of does their thing. No, it's like right from the beginning. You know, you have a hundred, the first century is the writing. The second century, we have all these witnesses to it. It's fascinating. That is awesome. I think it's really cool. So, anyways, where is John when he's writing this, when he experiences the vision? Well, John's coming out. This is on the Lord's Day, he tells us, so it's on Sunday. And John is imprisoned on the Isle of Patmos, P-A-T-M-O-S. Patmos is a Roman penal colony. It's in the Sporades Islands. I forget. I don't know how to pronounce that. In the Aegean Sea, it's south of Ephesus. For our intensive purposes, it's somewhere in the Mediterranean. Somewhere, okay? I know but exactly where Ephesus. But it's is. outside of Ephesus. Why is Ephesus important? That's where John goes with Our Lady after the crucifixion. Right? Tradition tells us from the second century that John goes to Ephesus. That's where Our Lady is. That's where her um, her assumption into heaven takes place. John gets imprisoned and sent to Patmos. He has this vision on a Sunday, and what we get from that is the Book of Revelation. Amazing. Pretty this wild. is in 96. Now, we know that it's in 96 because Irenaeus tells us that, but also because this is written as a response to the persecution that comes from the emperor Domitian. Who, jerk. who He's a real jerk. <laughs> he's called the second Nero, and you know about Nero, right? He was the one who burned Rome and blamed the Christians and did all this crazy stuff. This Domitian, for, who reigned from 81 AD to 96 AD, 
had this crazy persecution of Christians, crazy, crazy persecution. And what's happening is that churches are collapsing. Christians are being martyred. Everything's happening. And, and essentially the message of the book of Revelation, which John experiences and then writes, but the reason he writes it is to, is it's kind of a pressing call for commitment, for, for fidelity in the midst of this persecution. So everything is happening in the context of this intense, intense persecution, and they're looking towards the end times. It's a, it's amazing. Wow. Yeah, I mean, so they're like getting ready for Christ to come. They're getting ready. They're getting. I mean, they're seriously ready. I mean, they're they're at the point of dying. So, like we said, it's it, that's the purpose of it. It's profoundly liturgical in its character. Um, there's a, this is a public reading of this book is happening in the Eucharistic liturgy. We know this from very early on. Um, and, and Scott Hahn wrote a great book called The Lamb's Supper which talks about how Revelation is the mass. That's what Scott would say if he was Dr. Scott on. And uh, so the book of Revelation is the liturgy of heaven that's unfolding. When we talk about God revealing the things at the end times, we're talking about God revealing the, the heavenly liturgy, which is what we participate in mass, which is fascinating, which is we could do a whole other podcast on, but unfortunately we don't have time today because all these things are kind of pressing. The last thing I'll say in terms of introductory remarks regarding we're still in introductory remarks right that now. Was the, well, essentially this whole podcast is introductory remarks. <laughs> and I'm talking really fast because I get really excited about this. So I apologize. Father Mike's going to listen to this and Craig and be like, you guys are getting worse and worse. But I just get <laughs> excited because it's Revelation and I'm kind of, I can't even keep my breath over here. So just hang with me. The, uh, the this imagery and the symbolism is so intense. It's so crazy. I mean, it's like you've got these creatures, these angels, you've got these, you know, trumpets, all this different stuff. It's so crazy that we don't, really catch what what he's talking about if you were just to sit down today you you finish the podcast you're like oh great i'm going to read the revelation of john the last book in the book you would be like this is like someone took acid and just tripped out for the last you know five hours and wrote this thing because it's that crazy mm-hmm. but you have to understand that it's part of a tradition of apocalyptic literature which means that it's very specific symbolism and imagery primarily drawn from three things the book of exodus the book of daniel and the book of ezekiel that's very, very important. Exodus, Daniel, Ezekiel, totally. It's just interesting because you can't, we, you know, sometimes we read these things totally isolated from their historical situation and, and the culture and the genres, literary genres of the time. And it, it's, it's amazing how it's so human, yet it's, it's, it's has divine authorship, yet the Holy Spirit is the author of it. But at the same time, it's fully human. It's really like an incarnation in some sense, very similar to the hypostatic union in Christ. Like Absolutely. Fully Absolutely. human and fully divine. It's a beautiful thing. It totally, it totally is. And you, and you really have to see that. So like there are human intentions, but there are also divine, it's also divinely inspired. So there's this profound, profound imagery to it. And there's a depth to it that once you start tapping into this, it, it's like there's nothing you want to do except study scripture. Fascinating. I'll give you a couple examples of that. In, John, in Revelation of John chapter 1, verse 12, John, essentially what happens is the, the, the revelation begins and John just is like, bam, he's just like, gets like zapped up into heaven and he beholds the heavenly court and he sees this thing. And the first thing he sees is these seven lampstands that are like overwhelming. This is in verse 12. He says, then I turned to see the voice that was speaking to me and on turning, I saw seven golden lampstands and in the midst of the lampstands, one like the son of man clothed with a long robe and a golden sash across his chest. You're like. What the heck does that mean? He, why, why seven lampstands? Why seven lampstands? Oh, Joe, the, the Greek, and like I said, this is like so exciting. The Greek word there, when you look at it, it's luknias, which is the translation of the word menorah. <gasps> menorah, we know about that. It's Hanukkah right now or sometime around now. <laughs> the menorah were the, was the seven lampstands. Now, where were the seven lampstands? In the temple, temple. 
in the temple. This goes back to Exodus. The first time we see the seven lampstands appear is in Exodus 3.3, where it talks, no, that can't be right, Ezekiel 3.3, where he talks about the heavenly temple, the temple that is to come. So when John experiences this as a Jew, he's saying, oh my gosh, this is the temple. The lampstands that that we had in the temple that was destroyed, because remember the temple would have been destroyed 20 years before this happened. He now sees this in heaven. What do the lampstands symbolize? What does the menorah symbolize? The presence of God. That's what he beholds. One like the Son of Man, which is an image that comes from Daniel. Right? So, I mean, it's like all of these things. Daniel chapter 7. Everything has significance. Oh, that's Exodus 25, by the way. I just found it. My handwriting is terrible. So, even as I look through this Bible, and I got writing all over the place. But it's like fascinating. So, that's the first thing he sees, these lampstands. What the heck are the lampstands? Okay, that. Then you go a couple more chapters, and you realize, okay, he beholds it again. And you see this lamb, right? The lamb. The lamb who was slain. And this is uh, chapter 5. I don't know. I don't know. I never know uh, scripture chapters and numbers. You just I know just it's in there down. somewhere. You know, we know all the lyrics to the Indigo Girls songs, but we can't <laughs> memorize one stupid. Uh, there we go. I got it, though. Good Catholics, right? Good Catholics. So this is in chapter 5. The lamb appears, right? He sees this, this lamb. I saw a lamb standing as though it had been slain with seven horns and seven eyes. Now you're like, what? the heck is he talking about a lamb with seven horns and seven eyes what the heck okay that's pretty crazy lamb what do you think of when you think of lamb jesus paschal lamb or okay the passover Good. lamb so jesus is the lamb and remember john the baptist goes behold the lamb of god eche day he says that and we say that at the mass why do we say behold the lamb of god this is the lamb of god who takes away the sins of the world because we're participating in the heavenly liturgy what john saw and I just hit the hit the side of the, the uh, room Drapes. here. What, uh, this is like me giving a homily. When jo- what John saw just... is what we're participating in at the Mass. It's crazy. The heaven, And when we say that at Mass, this is the Lamb of God. This is what John is saying. Behold, I witnessed. He's seeing the Lamb of God in his glory. But why is Jesus a Lamb, Joe? Got to go back to the Old Testament. Take me back. Why is he the Lamb? Come are you, on. Are you First theologian. Yeah. Fire off. Uh, he's, oh. he's, the, <laughs> he's such a jerk. Passover, uh, the lamb, they, they sacrifice the lamb and put his blood on the doorposts. And because of the sacrifice and the blood of the lamb, they were freed from slavery, passed exactly. through the waters of baptism. Perfect. So it's the Passover Perfect lamb. And if you go back even further to Genesis 22, I think it's 22. Ooh, yeah. Abraham. Abraham. Didn't you just finish the Pentateuch class? <laughs> we didn't talk about the Pentateuch in that class. <laughs> <laughs> that was an inside joke. Um, but uh, so, yeah, Genesis 22, <laughs> Abraham sacrificing Isaac, thinks he's going to sacrifice him. Angel stops his hand, and then they look and they see. And he says, before they go up to the mountain, he tells his son Isaac, he said, you know, Isaac's like, hey, where, what are we going to sacrifice? And he's like, says, God will provide the lamb. God will provide the lamb. And they meat. get to the top, and, you know, you know the story. They see the ram caught in the thicket, get the ram, but not a lamb. Right. And so, and then something about the name of the place is like. Oh, and then Abraham names it Yahweh Yireh. Which means God will provide. God will provide, which be, gets shortened to Yire, becomes Yeru, and it gets combined with the city that's right next to it called Salem. Jerusalem. Jerusalem is the place where that happens. So when Christ Sorry, is we're crucified, going really fast right now. I know, but it's so <laughs> exciting. This is this is a very strange podcast, but um, this really is like the most fascinating topic. And we're very strange people. And we're very strange people. And one last thing about the lamb. Um the Greek, you don't catch this, but it's a diminutive. Do you know what a diminutive is like in Spanish? Like if, if I wanted to call you like Jose, but I wanted to say little Jose, I'd say Joseito, like little, little Jose. Well, that's what it is in Greek. It's like the little baby, bitty lamb. 
that's what this is. That's when it says Arnion. It's like uh, this little baby. So the lamb. one in the heavens. That John the one seen? in John chapter five is like this little baby lamb who was slain but is standing. And then in, at the end, in like chapter twenty, the lamb's going to come and he's going to destroy everything and rock it. And uh, that's when evil's going to get destroyed in the new heavens. And then everything. It's just so exciting. So that's one example of one word that we could talk about for four hours um, and unpack just lamb, just the lamb. Why does John see a lamb? He doesn't just say, oh, I went up to heaven and I saw Jesus. He is fulfilling everything that has happened in salvation history. And it's all kind of coming, it's collapsing. It's all kind of like coming to an end and a high point in a very exciting climax called the book of Revelation. That's why apocalypse is pretty fun, huh? That's pretty cool. So you just dove, you just took your first bite. And it was all rice. It was all rice. It was all rice. It gets better. With a little guacamole. I don't think we have time for more than that. Are you serious? Is that it? One last thing. Seven eyes, seven, seven, uh, seven horns. Because someone might be like, what about the seven eyes and the seven horns? Why does the lamb have seven eyes? That's yeah, why freaky. does it have seven eyes and seven horns? Well, seven. What's seven? Sheva covenant. Okay, good. And it also means fullness. Okay. Fullness, right? Because three is the, is the divine number. Four is the earthly number so when you have four and three you have seven it's the fullness of all creation of all reality so whenever something is seven it means fullness that's why we have seven sacraments church is universal oh there you go we're going really fast here today but uh like we said this is exciting so when we say a seven <laughs> horns horns in the old testament in apocalyptic literature that's a sign of power power so the lamb has full power all power seven eyes eyes are, are a symbol of Knowledge. Uh, knowledge. knowledge. How'd you know that? Uh, you, just, you just read my lips as I was saying that. So he has the fullness of knowledge. So he saw the land. He was slain because of Christ, the crucifixion of Christ. You know, the, the wounds are not healed mm. after the resurrected. Wait, wait. The, so pause for a second. I'm sorry. I know I haven't paused this whole podcast because it's been really fast. But So seven eyes of the lamb means that he's all knowing. Seven horns, he's all powerful. He's all powerful. But he's a little itty bitty lamb. He's a little baby lamb. That's really cool. And he's standing and he's slain. That's the crazy thing. Slain. Like he's Slain dead. like he's dead, yeah. but he's standing, but so he's, he's standing. not dead. So he's not dead. Maybe he is, was dead. He might have been dead for three days or something like that. So if uh, if you're interested, you know, jump in here. It's just fantastic. I, I It just kills me that we have to stop, though, because if I keep going, this will just be really disturbing well, for everybody. We could keep going. I mean, No, I don't think we should. Well, some people wish we would. Some people have probably already turned it off by now. <laughs> the uh, That was about 40 minutes packed into, I don't know, 15, 10, something like that. Oh, man, I'm just looking over this. It's so good. Oh, but literally, we could do a podcast on every chapter of this, but just come out to Colorado to my parish in May, and I'll give you a full-out Bible study on this anytime. So that, that's an open invite to anybody in the world, I guess. That one girl in Australia. I don't know if she'll do that. Yeehaw, man. Yeehaw. Uh, so that's it. Close her up there. Dude, great job. That was awesome stuff. Uh, we got an email here uh, from Tom. And Tom is, uh, he's responding to our... Sorry, I gotta chill out. <laughs> yeah, I know. Why don't you take a deep breath? <laughs> I feel like I want to take a nap and just listen to you. That's the Chipotle. Uh, all right. So Tom says, he says, I was shocked. This is about the marijuana podcast. I was shocked and a little amused to see the big pot leaf icon for the recent podcast, but the content was intriguing. I also experimented with marijuana in high school before my reversion. I was able to use it in moderation, not from any temperance I was exercising, but from fear of addiction. I smoked pot occasionally until my early 20s when I decided to quit altogether, still years before returning to the practice of the faith. So, I would say that it is possible to use moderation, John, uh, even though that's contrary to what you said, uh, but he says, but it's still a grave moral evil. Cool. So, well, discuss. Um, what was his name again? Tom. Hi, Tom. Uh, thanks for your email. This thanks is his second it. email, by the way. Yeah, and uh, we appreciate that, and just for kind of putting it out there and being honest, and it does help, and you know, I'm certainly not definitive in saying 
that you can't use marijuana in moderation. But I will qualify that. There's two ways of saying use it in moderation. There's like quantitative and qualitative. Quantitative means I didn't use it every day. I, I didn't want to get addicted, so I did it like once a week, something like that. Qualitative. Every time I smoke it, I get totally blitzed out of my mind. The moderation I'm talking about is not the former. Not that you can, because you can smoke it casually. You can smoke it once a week, once every couple of weeks, whatever. It doesn't need to consume your life. It doesn't need to consume your life. A lot of people do that. It just kind of becomes a part of their life, but they, for whatever reason, they, they keep a pretty close watch on it. The point I'm trying to make is that you can't use it in moderation because of the potency. So every time you use it, you're not able to use it in such a way that it does not hinder or uh, remove your faculties of your intellect, your reason, your ability to reason, and your will, your free will. It, it always affects that. It always kind of screws that up, so to speak, every time you smoke. So it's not about how many times you smoke it. It's about what happens when you smoke it and can you use the virtue of moderation or temperance when you do that. Does that make sense? That's a good, that's a good distinction to draw. So it's not necessarily an addiction question, but it's more, it's more like, like when you drink, I can drink in moderation, meaning uh, not that I don't drink all the time, but that when I do drink, I can drink without getting drunk. Right. I can drink and have a good time, have a few beers and not get drunk and even feel a little bit, but there won't, there'll be a gradual, there's a gradual movement from being sober to being drunk. Right. But what you're saying with this, it's like you are, you're not high and then you're high. And it's like, there's no, there's no moderation between, there's no like halfway right. or like, I'm right. just a little, I'm just, ha- I'm just feeling a little bit, but I'm all right. 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 And, uh, but what Tom is saying is important is that, you know, if I was drinking every night, just, you know, just having a beer or two, um, but I wasn't getting drunk, that would be an, that would be an offense against moderation, kind of quantitatively. Right. But if I could, every time I took a sip of scotch, I just got totally hammered, then I would say you could never use it in moderation because of the qualitative potency. This is like, this is all Nepal theology, okay? This is not, you're not going to find this in catechism. We're just trying to feel this out because this is a really important topic. Uh, it's a very pressing issue in our church, and frankly, no one's talking about it. That's true. Man, somebody's got to talk somebody's about it. Somebody's got to talk about it. That's what we're doing. It's good. Start the dialogue. Start the dialogue. Crusaders. Go take a nap, everybody. Thanks for listening. <laughs> Seriously. Yeah. Have a good one.